Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Northern Wind Fantasy Podcast. We are the Three Rivers Boys. My name is Zach. I'm Jake. And I'm Steve. And uh, we're here for another episode of our uh, <laughs> series on the Stormlight Archive <laughs> with Rick James here. What? I can't wait to That's finish this. James. Fuck. So that we can move on to Words of Radiance because I only have 17 hours left. <laughs> we can record the like quick reaction episode like right after you're done reading it and then yeah save the chapter by chapter for later i uh i think i read like 17 hours in the last week so on well, one of my Little runs John, that's the guy that i meant to call you yeah i know who you meant okay <laughs> all right so uh today we're going to talk about chapter 32 side carry and chapter 33, which is called Cymatics. Uh, as always, for these episodes, full book spoilers for The Way of Kings. You should Let's read get this into book. It. It's pretty good. Yeah. I mean, I feel like you are reading this book if you're listening to this. Otherwise, I just like don't know what the fuck you're doing with your life. <laughs> hey, they just want the cliff notes of us. Like, <laughs> are you like, yeah, are you like doing a book report? Like, I don't understand. They're like, uh, Flashbacks suck. I just keep. Writing I mean, that. as much as de- as much detail as we're going into, you'd be better off just like listening to the book because yeah. it, it would take you just as much like time to listen to this whole series of episodes. It might be actually longer than the book. <laughs> we're like twelve hours in. I had so much fun rereading Side Carry. This is like a freaking awesome chapter. Huh? I thought yeah. the exact same thing. Yeah, this is maybe really fun's fun not one. the right word. Well, it's fun up until a point. Yeah, like a bunch of people end up dying, but <laughs> I enjoyed good, reading it. It's a good it. chapter, I mean, yeah. A bunch of people that die that we don't know the names of. Yeah. You know. They basically so okay. don't count. Yeah. Cannon fodder. Fodder. <laughs> yeah. So uh, fodder. this is, we're back to the present time here. We got Kaladin. This is a Kaladin chapter. And... They're practicing carrying the bridge on its side, doing the side carry, as the uh, chapter title indicates. But they're not really that much better at it, despite all the practice they've been doing. Even, like, with all that, it's still pretty slow. It's pretty awkward. Their feet are always tangling with each other because they have to stand, like, nuts and butt to get this thing. So all They're fit, like, doing the their bridge. best, Zach. They've definitely gotten better, okay? I don't appreciate you talking about Bridge 4 like this. Bridge 4. And while they're at it, uh, Lamrel brings some new recruits to Gaz to distribute amongst, amongst the bridge, amongst the bridge crews. <laughs> and Gaz immediately tries to fuck Bridge 4. Yeah, he doesn't want to give any men to them. Uh, but we have Cal, or Captain Cal, who says, Hey, you gotta give me someone. Cal really punks him out right here because Gaz, like, kind of thinks he wants some for a second. And Cal's like, please, please, for the love of God, start some shit, Gaz. <laughs> so Gaz backs down and is like, you can pick one. And here comes maybe this guy's got to be top five favorite characters in Stormlight for me. I get such a kick out of this, dude. Yeah, I think like hey, right Gancho. after the main main character is this guy's probably my favorite. 
it might be the voice even Michael Kramer does because uh, just like the Australian, he does this one for Wax too. I love Wax, but yeah. Wayne. Hey, Gonto. Wayne, not Wax. Oh yeah, you're right. Sorry, Wayne. <laughs> and Zach has right here the legend of Lopin begins. This guy that we love, he's called his name's Lopin. The Hardazian. Yeah, he's the Lopin. You're right. He's not a Hardazian. He's a one-armed Hardazian. Yeah, that's true. Forgive me. Fond of telling one-armed Hardazian jokes. These Hardazians are almost uh, like the people that live up in the peaks. I'm struggling. I can't remember. Horn eaters. Horn eaters. They're almost like horn eaters. They have some weird physical traits. They have these strange crystalline fingernails. Uh, But yeah. This guy's hilarious, and his cousins are everywhere. It's fantastic. But Cal yeah. sees this guy has one arm, right? And, of course, Kaladin being, like, the the daddy he is and saving everybody, he, he picks this guy out of all the people to be on his bridge crew. And this almost, like, upset me, like, I, when I read it the first time. I love Lopin, but... You're kind of fucking over your bridge. You needed a guy that could help carry, you know? He could have let this guy go to another bridge who didn't need him as bad. I don't know. I think he fits the bridge for better because they need somebody who can do chores. Yeah, that's true. It does end up working out really well. And this Kaladin doesn't even have that plan at the time, though. Lopin actually kind of comes up with that on his own, right? He gets the stretcher and his own initiative and carries some water. And water, I think, yeah. He yeah. tells them to get the water, but the stretcher they come up with on their own, kind of. Yeah, they carry a bunch of provisions on this thing. And that that ends up really helping them out. Yeah, uh, Lopin so- ends up being like way more valuable than whatever, just like purely physical labor benefit one of the other guys would have brought like he's great from around with his sense of humor and can do attitude and helping yeah, all the injured guys he he's never been down uh, no he doesn't know what that every, means exactly uh, just some geographical reference her dad's is north of Yakaved and Alethkar and it like splits okay. The, the border between Yakovet and Alethkar, but it's a sea in the in the cold water area. And th- this is a country that Alethkar has been contesting for a pretty long time. They've been at war for a long time, but these people are all, like, pretty tough, tough bastards. Sure. Kind of reminds me of Finnish people, how there's, like, a lot of Finnish people in Sweden. You know, I think that there's a lot of Herdazians who are in Alethkar. Yeah, probably. Uh-huh. It seems like it anyway, because of all of Lopin's cousins. <laughs> Everybody's his cousin. So nobody can believe that this is the guy Calden picks. Gaz is incredulous, and so are the other members of Bridge Four. They're like, "What? Well, you got to pick this guy, and this is the guy that you chose." <laughs> Why do you hate us, Caledon? And as soon himself. as he gets to the <laughs> barracks, <laughs> what'd you say? He said, why do, we, why do you hate us, Kaladin? And I said, because he hates himself. <laughs> yeah. But, okay, so as soon as uh, Lopin gets to the barracks with Cal, like the war horns start going off, and it's time for another bridge four bridge run. 
And this is not good because they have like the bare minimum amount, right? I think they say they have 29 guys. So that's like exactly how many you need to run. Yeah, fewer than anybody else in any of the other bridge crews. So basically, you know, if they lose one or two guys, which is almost guaranteed to happen on most bridge runs, they're they're gonna go down. They're at the minimum horsepower. Manpower. Yeah. So this is not gonna be good. And this is where Cal tells Lopin to uh, carry water since he's not gonna be really good with the bridge with his only one arm. And surprisingly enough, uh, Dabbit and Hobber come along with him and they also pitch in and carry some water. And they get this uh, litter, too. Hobber is the mute right now? Yes. Okay. I believe so. Yeah, he has Battleshock, or whatever they're calling it in this world. Or no, it's Dabbit, isn't it? I can't remember. It's one of them. One of them is mute. I think it's Dabbit. So, and then this run ends up taking a pretty long time. These guys never know where they're going, right? They're just like, go across this bridge, you stupid bridgeman. Uh, So... The longer it takes, the the more chance that the Pershendi are already there and have set up kind of defenses and are already mining the gem heart. And, it, you know, the worse it gets for them, the longer the Pershendi have been there, basically. Uh, so he knows that this is taking too long and that when they get there, it's going to be bad. So on top of them being undermanned, this is going to end up being a particularly bad run. So... Things are yeah. not looking good. We find out eventually that their destination is the uh, infamous Tower Plateau, where uh, I like the symmetry where this is like Calden's biggest moment of defeat and also his triumph at the end of the book is at the same place. Yeah. It's a nice little uh, ring to it there. I don't have any quotes for this, but the way the tower is described, it just feels like some epic shit's going to happen there. Uh, it's very ominous and it just has like a powerful aura about it. I feel like Sanderson does a good job making it feel like this is where things happen. Yeah. So, uh, they get there and sure enough, they're, uh, well, I guess first along the way, they're benefiting immensely from having these water bearers with them because they can stop and take water breaks along the way and refresh themselves and Cowden is like man this is almost as good as having a dozen new guys with us so that ends up being pretty sweet for them and uh, along one of those breaks they hear a scout reporting that the Parshendi are already formed up waiting for them at the plateau so everybody's like oh man this is gonna be like the worst bridge run ever we're about to get like fucking slaughtered here sure death and Calvin's like, all right, now's, now's the time. We got to do it. Well, he leads too, doesn't he? Doesn't he go to the front? He's yeah. like, hey, everybody, let me get to the front here. Yeah, he gets in the front and he says, if I get shot, then go to a regular carry. Because they're all like, side carry's not going to work, Kaladin. And he's like, well, it'll work. And if it doesn't work, then don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So he puts his plan in action and they uh, take off charging. And we have another cool uh, quote here. This is like a hint of Calden using his night radiant powers before he really knows what's happening. We heard this before with like the arrows like all around his hands but not hitting him. He pushed them away with his lashings. Ah, such this a good is scene. like the, the second time that he's uh, using them I think. 
uh, there's been so other times, but th- I, I think there's been other times, but this is like, I, I was assuming it happens on every bridge run, right? Because his bridge always has lower casualties than the other ones. True. Yeah. And he hasn't died. But this is probably the second time they're really painting a vivid picture of it. All right. Uh, who wants to do this reading here? I'll do it. Get ready, Kaladin thought. He pushed harder and felt a sudden surge of strength. His legs stopped straining. His breath stopped wheezing. Perhaps it was just the anxiety of battle. Perhaps it was numbness setting in. But the unexpected strength gave him a slight sense of euphoria. He felt as if something were buzzing within him, mixing with his blood. In that moment, it felt like he was pulling the bridge behind him all alone, like a sail towing the ship. Excuse me. Like a sail towing the ship beneath it. He turned farther to the right, running at a deeper angle, putting himself and his men in full sight of the Parshendi archers. Now that's interesting on a reread, the mention of blood. Because blood is important uh, when it comes to soul casting. Yeah. Not sure, I'm not sure how important it is with uh, surging and stuff, but... Hmm. Hmm. Pattern. <laughs> so he kind of is able to time these Parshendi volleys based on their like chanting and watching them like knock draw and loose. And he blocks like three volleys, I think, something like that. And then on the fourth one, he notices that uh, they're not even shooting at them anymore. Yeah, so he's doing this like serpentine pattern, right? He sees them loading and he turns if they're you know, I think they're all carrying it to their right. It's all on their right shoulder. So they're going forward, he sees them loading, and he turns right, but now they're not going directly towards where they need to land. So the volley hits the bridge, but then he has to turn back left and expose himself. And then he's watching the arrows. Yeah, I think they they move faster when they're not running like straight sideways. So they, I think they kind of run with the bridge at like a 45 degree angle or something like that or, yeah. sh- or straight even on. But, so they're exposed to fire. Yeah. But they're, so it's, it's, they're more exposed at some times than others. And Kaladin has to like time this out. It's awesome. And they, even, even with this awkward side carry, they end up getting out in front of most of the other bridges yeah, and just because they're better conditioned than everybody else. Yeah, so they land first, and fucking chaos ensues, huh? Yeah, so they find out that nobody is shooting at them anymore because the Porsche have just totally given up aiming at them, and they're just concentrating their fire on all the other bridges, and the, the added fire that should have gone to bridge four is really wiping out some of these other bridges. Yeah, the Prashendi are always going to shoot at the softest target, so they're having a hard time doing anything to this bridge. They just give up and start shooting at some other bridges that are floundering. And and then those bridges fall, then there's more bridges they shoot at, and then it's just this domino effect. It screws up the entire landing operation. And only some of the bridges get set, and then that messes up the... The whole tactic is that they set enough of these bridges that they can have a big cavalry charge, and they need all the momentum from the cavalry, from the horses, to punch through the Parshendi line to make a landing zone that they can bring the infantry over into. Yeah. And there's, I think they only set two bridges, right? I think it's six. Okay. It's, 
It's only yeah, like, a couple. Some of them see the Kaladin and Bridge Four running out in front during the side carry, and they try to do the side carry themselves, but they've never practiced it before, so they're all like falling down and getting shot, and it's a huge mess. Yeah, I mean, Man, this would be impossible to do if you'd never practiced it. I assume just as soon as they try, they like fall down and get murdered. Yeah, don't you think? I don't know. I feel like if I were a bridge crew and I saw another bridge crew doing that, I'd be like, I'm not fucking doing that. But you it know? worked. It worked well, you, really when good. When you see none of them For those get people. killed and everybody around you is getting shot, you're going to be like, okay, let's try that shit. <laughs> I guess, but I mean, you know that you've never done it before. Yeah, but think of how good it would feel to put the bridge in between you and the arrows. Just think, yeah, I mean, a lot of these guys have never been on a bridge run before, probably, or, the, or they're probably all, like, terrified and not thinking correctly. Yeah, none of these like, guys are, like, battle-hardened. They're just trying to stay alive. Any chance of survival, they're going to take it. Well, they die because of it, so yeah. they're stupid. So this one little thing, like I was saying, screws up the bridge landing, screws up the cavalry charge, screws up the infantry coming across, screws up them being able to defend the small amount of bridges they have. The cavalry gets surrounded because the infantry doesn't come in. It fucks up the whole thing. Like, everything, this entire thing is FUBAR because of Kaladin. This is not good for our boy. And he sees that immediately, and he, like, understands the situation. He's like, oh, man, they're going to come for me because of this. <laughs> yeah. I remember Michael Kramer's voice of Kaladin here sounding very defeated. It was great. He Kaladin. knows they're coming for Lamoril. He knows they're coming for Gaz. He knows they're coming for him. This is this is a big deal. Lamoril and Gaz come for him, like, immediately. They're like, Kaladin, get him now. We have to kill this dude, like, right away. <laughs> Cal that knows we, that's going to happen, though, and kind of has a plan to deal with that, though. Yeah, let him beat him up. Yeah, he says, like, listen, it's going to go a lot better for you if I'm around to testify that I did this on my own and you didn't have anything to do for it. Yeah. They're like, oh, yeah, yeah no, you're right. Huh? <laughs> so this guy's smart, the kicking ass. And then for some reason, all his fears are done after the beating. It's weird. Yeah crazy how that keeps happening so yeah Cal's offering to testify saves him and probably saves his bridge crew even that there's a scapegoat right yeah uh, well I mean his punishment is rather severe to be strung to a yeah, he's well, ceiling of a like building sentenced to death anyhow he but. knows that's gonna happen but at least he you know Cal's being Cal he's got a savior complex he definitely would have died if these, like, 12 guys just stabbed him to death right here because his fears were already gone. He didn't have yeah. any other stormlight, so it's a good thing that he did save himself. That way his storm daddy could come. <laughs> and that's the end of side carry. All right, so chapter 33, Cymatics. This is uh, the first Shalon chapter in a while, I think, right? I'm going to go back a good bit to get a Shalon chapter. Uh, I think she wasn't in the last part, maybe. Yeah. So uh, she is still in the Palinaeum. It's been a couple months, I believe, since we last saw her. And she's just kind of like thinking about how big and grand and crazy this uh, library is. And how could it be so perfectly built? Maybe they use soul casters or some kind of magic. I really, en I really enjoyed her just kind of gazing over the library and talking about what it looks like. 
you know, this is this is really good world building because it's it's not just like typed out, you know, what this place looks like. It's Shalon experiencing it. And this place sounds friggin' awesome, dude. Uh this gives me you know, Library of Alexandria vibes. This gives me the Citadel yeah. from Game of Thrones. Um, I, I love these mythical libraries that we get in a lot of these fantasy stories. This just sounds so cool, you know, as a book nerd. This just sounds awesome. There's, like, elevators, <laughs> and they have, Can like, I hum- read, uh, humidity control. The description? Yeah. The Palinaeum was shaped like an inverted pyramid carved down into the rock. It had balcony walkways suspended around its perimeter. Slanted gently downward, they ran around all four walls to form a majestic square spiral, a giant staircase pointing toward the center of Roshar. A series of lifts provided a quicker method of descending. Yeah, like, sounds that huge. sounds rad. Yeah. I could just picture the whole thing is lit with... I said the whole, the whole thing is lit with the entire Carberanthian uh, royal treasury. Which is yeah, pretty badass. That's epic. I can just imagine We're standing rich. on the top floor of this, looking down into the kind of bowl of the pyramid. You know, it's almost going to look like a yeah, crater be or nice something. To look at. Yeah. All these so lifts going all up and gems down. And, yeah. It'd be really crazy looking. Cool library. All right. <laughs> so she's basically just raided the whole like natural science uh, section of the library. To study in her own time. Yeah, Yasna has started giving her an hour a day to study whatever she wants. So this is her free period, right? Yeah, study hall. And uh, Zach wrote that she's going to found Roshar's Autobahn Society if things had worked out I think out that's what she would do if uh, life had progressed as normally for Shalon here, but... She yeah, mixed in with more intense things. <laughs> the, the wheel weaves is the wheel wills. <laughs> uh, yeah, she is though. She really is into this, and it's almost heartbreaking because I think you're right. I think she would have been. Well, I, she does end up being a scholar of sorts, but I, I think she would have been like this scientist and this contributing, you know, person to further humanity's knowledge, or whatever the hell these people are. Uh, those of you that don't know, uh, James J. Audubon was a famous naturalist who did a lot of bird illustrations that became famous. Shout out and to now birds. There's a Audubon Society, which is a big uh, birding club, kind of. They do field guides and everything. Yeah, see more birds. If you listen to our last chronological episode, we had a lot of birds in the background. Yeah, birds are cool. I just heard one. <laughs> Yeah, that bird did, like, sing on cue. Thanks, buddy. Uh, so, Shalon feels herself getting more and more caught up in this, like, scholarly life. She really enjoys it. It makes her feel like a complete person, kind of. This makes me so sad how much she <laughs> likes being a scholar. Like, imagine having this career path scholar. that you could have, like, been good at and loved. and You, like, can't do it because your family fucking sucks. She still becomes a scholar, I mean. She, just she doesn't get to just, like, read books in a library, though. I mean... I mean, she's a scholar in the same way that Indiana Jones is an archaeologist. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she does what she can. She, is, she has other things to preoccupy her time. So she's trying to focus more on her real job, 
which is, of course, stealing the Soulcaster from Yasna. And she takes the lift down to the very bottom point in the rock bottom of the Palinaeum. And she starts to go through some sketches she's done of Yasna while she was using her Soulcaster. And she's got kind of like a whole range of things here. She's got one where she was using it to burn up uh, some parchment documents. And Shalon wonders what Yasna could have been hiding here. There's one where she soul casts the wine in her goblet into crystal. She uses it as a paperweight. This one, she makes a, a remark about, you know, kind of what a silly thing to use such a power on. You know, you, you could have just, like, asked for a paperweight, but instead you used your superpower to make one. Yeah, the His official soul casters never would use it on anything like this trivial. Well, because soul casting isn't free, right? It takes something from the user. Well, she thinks it's coming from the actual object where it breaks the stones. But when you do soul cast, it doesn't break a stone. It just absorbs the stormlight, right? To be determined. It depends on how you're doing it, whether you're a Night Radiant or a person using a Fabrial. Well, exactly. Which is why Yasna would do something like this, because she's not using a Fabrial. Right, but I'm just pointing out, like, that... Shalon thinks this is weird. Yeah. Uh, then she burns some words into paper when she runs out of ink. She kind of writes with fire almost. Like branding the words into the paper, which, which is really is cool. Yeah, to, to see, like, to think about how visually that would look is really neat. What a. And that level of, like, fine control with the yes, power. The dexterity. How, how adept do you have to be to be able to do that? to burn it at the exact temperature where it like chars it in but doesn't light the paper on fire yeah um and just use milk Shalon notices that you say uh, use milk <laughs> yeah haven't you ever done that you write milk and then you heat it up and it uh burns the letters into the paper really uh, okay that's, yeah, that's that. a way to do like secret writing I knew the yeah, lemon yeah, juice one cool. uh so Yas or Shalon notices that Yasna's Soulcaster is like attuned to a certain set of the powers, right? So uh, the there's there's ten essences. Yeah, okay. <clears throat> there's ten essences, and most Soulcasters are good at a couple of them. And you you can do all of them, but you could do some of them a lot better. And they come in like groups of three, I think, right? So her essences are vapor. Is this supposed to be spark? It says park. Yeah, that should be spark. <laughs> Va- vapor, spark, and lucentia. Yeah, so the the ten essences kind of correspond, I think, to like the ten surges uh, that you'll learn about later on. You can't really get into too much of it without spoiling later books, I think. Yeah, that's about as much. All right, so we're talking about the ten essences here. Specifically, uh, what do we say? Vapor, spark, and lucentia. Yes. Is that the correct three? Okay. So uh, each one of these essences corresponds to a certain set of soul-casting properties, as we were saying. Vapor is opaque gas, smoke, and fog. Spark is fire, obviously, and lucentia would be quartz, glass, or crystal. So these are the three things that Yasna is the best at soul-casting. And Shalon needs, like, quartz, glass, and crystal, right? Yes. 
to uh, like Opal and things like that. Marble. Yeah. I think she needs Talus for Rock and Stone. Isn't that what it is? Oh, okay. We yeah. also find out later that Yasna is not good at blood. She says it out loud, but just to throw that out there. Yeah. So uh, she also takes another look at her father's broken soul caster, which she keeps in her safe hand pouch. And it seems like it's perfectly repaired, even knowing where it was broken, she can't like see any obvious defects with it. But nonetheless, it still doesn't work. Wait, we're probably going to have to cut this out, but is Yasna's dad ever really using the soul caster or does he fucking I'm sorry Shalon's dad or is he like doing it like Yasna is did Uh, the soul caster ever work that's not confirmed one way or the other yet to my knowledge anyhow do I have to cut that or I mean we don't have an answer so I don't think it matters it's just a good question to think about so I say we keep it yeah keep it uh where was I though Oh, yeah. So it looks identical to Yasna's after she compares, like, the one that she has to all the drawings that she has of Yasna. But she's starting to doubt that she could really steal that thing now that she knows Yasna. She's, she kind of likes her, and she doesn't want to fuck her ever. <laughs> I mean, this makes me like Shalon more. I've liked Shalon this entire book. She, was, she still is probably my favorite character in the entire series so. that's awesome that you like Shalon so much because for me she didn't I don't think I started liking her more until a little later but she is I always like Shalon character. there are parts well, of Shalon that remind me a lot of me so I dig her a lot like it's not that I ever dislike me of, take, of being in college and taking science classes and stuff <laughs> I just felt like in the beginning Kaladin overshadowed her story a lot because Shalon's like a lot less developed of a character in the first book. Kaladin's parts are also like fucking awesome every time, besides the flashbacks. And Shalon's are sometimes just like long philosophical conversations, which lose a lot of people. On my reread, though, Shalon is way more interesting. There's so much going on with her storyline. I agree. I think I've lo- I always like Shalon. I think Kaladin's just hard for me because it's depressing. Maybe it's because I'm depressed, but I love Kaladin. <laughs> He's just kind of whiny. He is a little bit. Shut up! <laughs> I could have jumped off a cliff. The I cool could've. thing about Shalon is that like, <laughs> as kind of like the scientist of the group, uh, you learn a lot about how the world and Cosmere work through her. That's like on my second read, I I appreciated that world building that he does through her a lot more. I talked about that a little earlier that it's such a fluent way of world building. Like the way she described, like the way he has her talking about the different buildings she's in and, you know, just the stuff we get with how she views Yasna being a royal member, being a member of the royal family. And, like, you get a little world building there with the way politics work. And, you know, her family's a little lower, so that gives you some status. And there's just all this great stuff you get out of her character where Kaladin is just a lot more, like, hero guy doing stuff. (laughs) Being sad. Trying to save people. Not very well. His sprint is like, it's okay, Kaladin. 
it's okay. Just like wake up and like don't be sad anymore. Fight. <laughs> Fight. It's like, come on. I don't know. Do you like my sill impression? Yeah, it sounded like uh, she was from Jersey. I actually, yeah. I actually hate, <laughs> I hate how Michael Kramer reads it. That's exactly how I imagine Sills' voice in my head. And I, I, I think they need to hire you for the new audiobook. Thanks. R.I.P. Michael Kramer and Kate Redding for the Wheel of Time narration. That's R. not going R. anywhere. I know, but what's her name's doing it now? And I feel like she should have just stayed in her, her lane. Where's Wynn Pike? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's completely to get people to listen to it and also money. Guys, we're veering like, way off the show. All right, all right, you're right, you're right, you're right. We did not need that redone, though. Zach, get back on track. <laughs> I know you have it in you. Why are you letting them digress, Zach? So as a final problem <laughs> with Shalon, before we move along, uh, she also has no idea how to use the Soulcaster once she steals it from Yasna. So, you know, she's got that to think about, too. <laughs> what a shitty plan this is. <laughs> I mean, her brother's basically... Th- this all seems like Shalon, Shalon's thing, right? I mean, her brother's always like, yeah, you know, go with the plan that you made, you know? I don't know. You seem to be good at this, so, like, whatever you want to do. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And even later when she says, I'm not doing it, they're like, that's okay. We're just going to hope it goes well. Yeah. So the reason that Yasna had sent Shalon down here in the first place was to find and read a copy of this philosophy book called Dialogues, which I thought was funny. It sounds a lot like uh, Plato's Republic that I had to read in Philosophy 101. (laughs) Oh, that sounds interesting. I have to Google it. That's definitely the full-on like freshman in college experience that she's getting right now. This is also the same place where uh, they keep Shadows Remembered, which was the book that Yasna was reading earlier before she uh, had lunch with the king. So Sean decides that she's going to go check this book out while she's down here and see what was so important that Yasna was reading about. Turns out it's a collection of children's stories. Bunch of fairy tales. Why, why would we read no, fairy tales? She must be stupid. Doesn't They're have a high reading level. Spooky ghost stories kind of about the Voidbringers. This is Roshar, the Brothers Grimm. <laughs> yeah, kind of. If that was based on something that was real. You don't know. It might have been. You've seen The Witcher. So Shalon, of course... (laughs) Shalon, of course, thinks this is super weird for this uh, highly renowned, really serious scholar like Yasna to be reading this silly book of children's stories. There's definitely something up with this, she thinks. So she heads off back to her little alcove and finds Capsule waiting there, of course. I just wanted to, like, when she's talking about this book, I heard, like, the snake alert from, like, bing. Like, this is important. (laughs) Like, why is she reading this? Yeah, it's very, like, on the nose. Okay, what's going on here? Yeah, capsule, obviously Yasna is clued into uh, some of the more magical things happening in Rishar. Did you guys trust Capsule? We haven't talked about him in a long time because he wasn't in the last part of the book. 
I kind of did at first. This is around the part where I started to be like, what's really going on with this guy? I I don't want to say I trusted him, but like my hackles weren't up or anything. Uh, But I I thought he was... they do a ridiculous amount of flirting in this chapter. That's what I, I just thought it was like weird. I just didn't get this guy and I definitely never trusted him. I was like, why is this monk flirting so hard with this girl? Yeah, like, yeah. Exactly. I just, I always hated him. I remember when I was reading this and just messaging you guys and be like, capsule sucks, eh? I, I was surprised <laughs> by the poisoning stuff. Yeah, me too. I but, thought at worst that this was going to lead into some like stupid scandal where like they started a relationship that yeah, was forbidden or that, something. I was like, this isn't going to lead to anything good. Like, why is this happening? That's definitely more along the lines of what I was expecting. But he's just a straight up like snake assassin. assassin. Yeah, he's an mm. assassin. He's a snake assassin. <laughs> He's a snake in the grass, I'll tell you guys. Snake in the grass, assassin. So he has, of course, brought her bread and jam, as he has been doing for several months now. It's uh, become a habit of his. And they kind of flirt and play word games and banter with each other while they uh, eat this fresh bread and jam. I think it's funny they kind of comment on the fact that, like, Technically, they shouldn't be alone without a chaperone, but Capsule is uh, ardent, so it's cool. And it's, jam is a women's food because it's so sweet, but Capsule is an ardent, so it's all cool. <laughs> yeah, so he's been sharing bread and jam with her, which is kind of inappropriate, but, you know, oh, what Shalon keeps saying to herself is, well, I really like jam. <laughs> well, he keeps coming around, but I really like jam. So, so there's like berries are super rare, right? So the jam is like this super delicacy. But I think it maybe only comes from Shinovar. Not this jam, but they do actually have strawberry jam at the end when that's how he tricks her into eating the poison because it's like the super rare strawberry jam from Shinovar. But just like based on the Rosharn landscape, I doubt there's a bunch of berry bushes sitting around. True. This is Simberry Jam, which they have a long discussion about what kind of jam uh, Shalon likes and what that means, according to different studies. Right, we're getting deep into the jam lore. <laughs> this was Carter. this kind of went on for like too long, I think, when I was going through. <laughs> like I don't remember it being this long when I first <laughs> read this book, but like as I was going, going through taking these notes, I was like, man, this goes on for like several pages. <laughs> <laughs> I really it, didn't like Capsule. It's going on for too long right now. I'm already tired of talking about Jam. <laughs> yeah. We should talk about how Capsule's an idiot. Um, he wants so, to show proof that the Almighty exists. Exactly, yeah. That's what he claims he wants. he's doing here, but really he's just this. This little experiment, though, is really neat, right? Yeah, and it's good foreshadowing, I think, to a couple of different things. Like, what is this shit? This is weird. So this is what the uh, title of the chapter comes from. This is called Cymatics. This is a real thing, actually. Yeah. People do this with uh, plates and sand. Yeah, I've seen this done. But but that it leads into the shapes of these different cities. Right. That, that they've found, like, the tone that they can play. So they put sand on, like, a 
a drum top, like a taut surface, right? And they play a tone across it, and the sand forms into a certain pattern based on the note that gets played. So they yeah. found the specific note for some of these cities where it makes the like a map of the city, basically. And yeah, so like, he does like this really uh, rehearsed kind of, what do you want to call this? Like a demonstration, I guess? It's like, it's like dogma. Exactly. It's what cult, yeah. cultists do. It's so like, he you want to hear my pitch? <laughs> yeah. He has all these different schematics of these big cities. And uh, Rashar here, he's got Kolinar, Vedanar, Akina, Thalen City. And they all have these unique symmetrical designs. And symmetry is considered very holy in foreign religions, as we've talked about with people's names like... Kaladin or Shalon, there there's a kind of symmetry to the spellings, but a little bit off, so it's not blasphemous. Uh, they talk about that naming thing and a couple of other ways that symmetry is important in their culture. And then he shows her these plates with sand, like we were talking about. And as he plays them, they all match like the symmetrical patterns of each individual city, like if he plays different notes. Weird. This is proof of uh, God. Divine intervention. And Shalon's like, no, it isn't. Yeah, it's pretty obviously not the thing that that he thinks it is. This guy's a schmuck. But it is is something, huh? Like, it's definitely something friggin' weird. I mean, it almost is, though. I'm verging on spoiling uh, Rhythm of War, but... (laughs) Yeah, I think that I can't say anything. (laughs) Uh, music and sound waves will become important. So there's more yeah. to this than you might think as you read this scene right here. Stay tuned. Yeah, so uh, right after that, basically, Yasna walks in on them and just kind of eviscerates Capsule <laughs> verbally. Like I said, he's a schmuck. Yasna, or sorry, uh, Shalon is kind of stuttering trying to explain why Capsule is here and Yasna comes with this line. She says, you are not a captive child, Yasna interrupted brusquely. You are allowed visitors. Just be careful to check your skin for tooth marks. These types have a habit of dragging their prey out to sea with them. Savage. I love Yasna. (laughs) She's so great. She's like, the only reason this guy is here and like flirting you up constantly is because he thinks he can use you to get to me. Yeah. So arrogant. And true. Yeah. (laughs) Far too true, as we will find out later. But that's all uh, we're going to cover today. Any final thoughts? It's a turning Um, point in the book. Something pretty incredibly bad just happened to Kaladin, and there's going to be a transformative moment for him coming up after this. And for... yeah. Shalon, I think that we really started to get to learn some things. I think you said this was the first chapter in a while that we've even got to see her. So she got this to is... look into the studies of Yasna. We get to learn more about world building. So it's just an important chapter. This is the part where Shalon starts to ask the important questions and look for answers to them. I think of these two chapters at first glance the Kaladin chapter shines brighter which is like we talked about earlier usually the case and this is a huge setup for Kaladin basically becoming 
Super Kaladin, right? This is how he gets his trial by the storm and ends up realizing his powers. But this is also just an awesome Shalon chapter. Steve summed it up really well. I mean, there's a lot of good stuff in here. This is two two great chapters. This this is my... I, I would say I had more fun rereading this for this episode than I have for most of the other ones we've done. Something we didn't talk about. Does she at one point feel drunk while she's eating the jam and bread? Mm, I don't remember that. I, I remember her feeling like she was like flushed and feeling different, which would make sense because she's, she's being poisoned. I think she's horny. Yeah, I know, but it could also be that she's feeling the poison. This one isn't poisoned, though, right? They're, they're no, always they're all poisoned. poisoned. Yeah, that's right. right. He just carries the antidote with him yeah. at all times. Yeah. And and then won't give it to Yasna if she decides right, to Right, eat. right, right, right. fucker. All right. Uh, let's call it an episode there. Thanks for joining us today, guys. We'll be back with, I think we can get like two more of these Stormlight episodes in before we stop to cover House of the Dragon. And that's going to be a lot of fun. So thanks for listening. We are the Three Rivers Boys. Follow us on Twitter at Three Rivers Boys. And we'll see you around. He's Zach. I'm Jake. That's Steve. I'm Steve. Read read more books. Sorry. (laughs) 